Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right. How's it going, everybody? Good, good. Awesome. It's very nice to see, see your lovely faces again. Oh, it's so good. Man, uh, so I just um, just got back from Texas. I was uh, speaking at a uh, at a church group in uh, Fort Worth, and it was really fun to get to spend time with them. And so I was only there for a couple days, so we had to pack it in. I was teaching, I think, probably four or five sessions uh, both days, and then uh, immediately come here and preach to you guys. So I'm feeling ripe and ready to, to dive right in. Awesome. So I kind of, my, my, my hope today is I want to I wanna kind of paint a picture of something for you, and to, to, to draw it as clearly as I can, I, I want to uh, start with a couple of stories from stuff that I experienced when, when I was younger. So, so uh, how, how many of you just out of curiosity grew up in the church, more or less? Grew up in the church. Cool. Awesome. How many of you did not grow up in the church? Awesome. Some of you didn't raise your hands for either. I'm very curious where you grew up. <laughs> well, hopefully find out someday. I can't wait to hear your story. Um, <laughs> But I, uh, so I grew up in the church, been going to church my whole life. I was a pastor's kid, missionary kid, you know. And uh, I know that for a lot of folks who grew up in the church, a big uh, part of your life, especially when you're, when you're uh, young, is uh, going to youth group. You know, that's, that's going from kids' church to, to what felt like, you know, where all the big kids are, you know. And our, in our church, when I, when I got into junior high for the first time, you know, it was a, it was a smallish church at that time. So the... Uh, the junior high and the high schoolers were all in, you know, one big group. And, you know, I was, uh, I've, I've talked about this a couple times, but I was, I was a little bit of a socially anxious kid, you know, a little bit, a little bit nervous and uh, quiet. So, you know, little 12-year-old Blake going to the youth group for the first time with all these, you know, giant high schoolers with big beards. And, you know, I, when I go back to those memories, I realize it was probably just kind of like really long peach fuzz, you know, but still it seemed very intimidating when, when I was a kid. And I remember there was this one girl, I'm, I'm going to, uh, we're going to call her Beth because that's uh, not her name. Um, but uh, Beth was one of the high schoolers when I came in at, at junior high. And, uh, and she was, uh, at least as far as I remember, she was the only high schooler who ever talked to me. You know, I, I would be so quiet. I would come in, I'd sit at the back, you know, and I'd look around and, you know, just be kind of mildly nervous the whole time but excited to be with everybody. Um, and, but Beth would always say hi. Every single time she'd, you know, come up to me and say hi. And... You know, every every time she would, if there was like if everyone, if everyone was doing something afterwards, like you know, going to get ice cream somewhere or something like that, she'd always say, "Blake, do you want to come?" You know, Blake, do you need a ride? You know, she was just always really, really sweet and just super, super kind. And she was just kind of like that with everybody. You know, she's one of those really, really kind people, really sweet, just really, really genuine. And uh, she was just one of those people I just like, you know, felt like an older sister, you know, kind of kind of thing. And and so as the couple years, you know, went by, I got to know her a little bit more. We didn't hang out all the time, but, you know, it was in that kind of group setting. And, you know, Beth came, Beth came from a really broken home, un- unfortunately. And, uh, you know, and I, I remember in some of the times that we'd talk, our, I really loved our youth group and our youth pastor at that time. He'd really, you know, he didn't really, he would really sit down with us and just talk through stuff, talk through stuff we were dealing with. Uh, he'd talk through scripture. He just really kind of would get, get in there and really show up and invite people to talk and really, you know, dialogue and everything. And I remember, you know, one of the things that Beth would bring up a lot is just this, this feeling like, 
oh, I just feel like I can never like live up to the standard that I'm supposed to, to, to be a good Christian, you know, that, that I have to, I feel like I'm always messing it up, always going to do something wrong, you know, and, and, you know, this, that kind of, kind of feeling. And so some, some time went by and, um, uh, I didn't, suddenly, just out, kind of out of the blue, didn't, didn't see Beth at youth group, youth group anymore. And so, you know, one day I was pretty close to our youth pastor, and so I just went up to him and said, hey, gosh, I haven't seen Beth for like three weeks. You know, where, where is she? And, you know, he, he, he said, oh, you know, um, and he kind of laid out the story for me that Beth, Beth had uh, ended up, she was senior in high school at that time, and ended up um, uh, getting pregnant from a guy that she was, she was dating, and she just felt so much shame, so much, uh, so much uh, kind of condemnation. And, and, you know, he had said there was a, there was a couple people who had said some pr- kind of pretty harsh things to her when she had tried to kind of get, talk it through at the, at the church. And so she just w- was uh, too, too ashamed to come back. And I, I, you know, checked in with her once, uh, I guess it was MySpace back then, but then, you know, Facebook and things like that. Oof, that was a thing, but, and, and, and I'd kind of try to keep, keep connect with her a, a little bit. And, you know, as far as I, uh, I kind of kept an eye on her a little here and there for up until probably about 10 years ago. And an entire time, she, she never went back to church anywhere. So I'm going to tell you one more, uh, and I'll warn you ahead of time, slightly depressing story, and then we'll, then we'll dive in. Everybody okay? We're doing good? Okay, we're laying some groundwork. So there was another guy in that youth group whose name was Mike. Uh, his name was not Mike, but that's what we're going to call him. Um, and Mike, Mike was a sweet guy. I, I, this was in Southern California. He was a surfer dude, you know, and he, he, um, uh, he was really friendly. You know, our church at that time was really, really... Uh, uh, had a lot of focus on training people up in the prophetic, and he, he was one of the other kids in the youth group that really took naturally to the prophetic, really grew in it quickly, you know, and it was uh, just a really, really gifted in that area. Again, he was this really fun guy. He was also one of the guys who was just really sweet and nice and, you know, would be, be, be kind to me, and he was also, you know, older, older than I was. And I know, <laughs> my, again, my youth pastor was a, he, he was a really good youth pastor, but he was a, definitely a tough love kind of guy, and uh, he, he and Mike would always get in arguments, you know. They'd always be button heads for, for some reason or another. They had a good rapport, but they were just kind of, I'd always, out of the corner of my eye, see them, you know, just get, getting mildly elevated about something and, and uh, you know, kind of clashing about that. Um, I, um, and then as I got to know him better, I all, you know, also started to get a little bit older. I started learning more about him and his, and his life. And I knew that, you know, every now and again he would, you know, mess around with girls and do do all that kind of thing. You know, would uh, maybe you know smoke some weed here or there kind of thing. And his attitude was always like, "Oh, you know, I'm working on it. You know, God loves me. You know, and da da da. This this whole kind of thing. You know, there's you know and da da. And so this went on, went on, went on. And then um, again, right right around when he was uh, right right after he was a senior in high school, ended up getting a getting a girl pregnant and. Uh, you know, ended up marrying her after after the baby had been born, and fortunately they got divorced a little bit after that, and ended up getting someone else pregnant, and there's kind of a chain of that two or three times, and there was just this uh, mess and pain and, and hurt and, and all that, and you know, I again, I'm sorry to start with uh, you know it's raining, we got two downer stories, like Blake, what are we, what are we going, you know, what are we doing here? Don't worry, it's gonna get better in a second. Uh, in 15, 20 minutes, we'll be fine. Um, 
<laughs> but I, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys maybe have similar experience, especially those of you who grew up in church, maybe even some of those who didn't. That I can, those are just two stories, but I, I can think of ten more of just different stories of uh, kids who are in my youth group. Oh, I just, oh, I just didn't see around anymore. Who got disconnected? Who, who went away? Who, whatever else? And it made me. You know, it made me, it just broke my heart because I love these people. And I looked, and, you know, especially as a junior high kid, I looked up to these people, you know, and, and, and they were part of a, the little team that we had there. And it just, it just hurt. And, you know, as I, as I grew older, kind of my understanding of, of church dynamics and all those things got up, I kind of realized that these two examples were, were kind of a good snapshot of, of what some of us might view as opposing ideologies or, or, or principles here. We have the one person who's, you know, really scared to make a mistake, really scared to, to get anything wrong, feels tremendous shame if they, if they, uh, if they do something, uh, you know, if they, uh, if, they, if they sin, if they make a mistake, if, if any of those things, and just very condemning and feels, feels you know, con- uh, condemn by other people. And, you know, we could just, just for the... Um, sake of it, call that, um, call that the, like, hyperlaw. Let's call that hyperlaw. Does that sound okay? It's my, th- it's my definition for right now. This is the Blake Healy book of modern theology, hyperlaw. <laughs> um, go over to my friend over here, and it's that kind of messy, wishy-washy, are you in, are you out, you know, do, you know, type thing, and it's this, this thing of, like, you know, hey, yeah, you kind of apologize a little bit, and you say you want to work on it, but Gosh, nothing really changes, you know, and this just keeps happening over and over again. And so we got, we got hyperlaw over here. Let's call this one greasy grace. We'll call that greasy grace. That's something my youth pastor used to say all the time. <laughs> we'll call it greasy grace. You don't want the greasy grace. It's what's at the very bottom of the McDonald's fryer. That's greasy grace. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um. So, you know, if, if we, I'm obviously using, you know, hyperbolic language a little bit in describing these things, but what do you, what do you do with these two things? And these are, these are things that I hear people talking about of this, you know, and, and there's shades of this, you know, but okay, what about, what about upholding the boundaries of, of sin, of, of, of uh, the, the lines that Jesus drew with the gospel? What about this? Well, and then over on this side, it'll always be, well, you know, sinners were attracted to Jesus, and, you know, we don't want to condemn people, and we want to make sure that we're loving people. And it can feel like there's these opposing ideas, and it can also feel like, is this like a spectrum that we have to find the right place along? And what what I'd like to just kind of get into a bit here today is that I, I personally believe that no, this is, this is not a spectrum that we're trying to find the, the right place on or the right level of extremity on or as a church that we're trying to find. What, what, what kind of church do we want to be? Do we want to be a greasy greats church or a hyperlaw church? You know, what's, what's our demographic? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever said that sentence before, but there it is for you. <laughs> You're welcome. And so I'd love for you to open your Bibles. And at home, please, also, please go get your, get your Bibles. And if possible, get a, get a physical Bible because this, this passage here is a physical Bible scripture. I, I, I very sadly, I, I lost my, my favorite Bible about a year ago. I got left on an airplane and uh, I haven't, you know, it's like, it's like when you have a, pu- a dog that you've had for years and years and years and it, like it passes away and it's like, oh, I don't want to just go get another dog. You know, I, I want to, so every Bible I've gotten, I just, it just doesn't feel right. It's not the same, you know. So if anyone knows like a really nice version of the NASB Bible as like nice, if, if you text me if you know, you know a good one because I'm, I'm in the market for 
I miss, miss the physical. Anyway, so if you would, please turn this, because this is one I would love you to, to have the opportunity to walk through. But this is Matthew 5. Matthew 5. One of, one of the most foundational, most famous parts of Scripture. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And um, this, is, this is great. I, I wish we had time to go through every single verse in, in this area, because it's, it's great. This is... This is um, and I've heard people compare this to like Jesus's, you know, uh, the equivalent of like his presidential address or something like that. But whatever, whatever you want to call it, like this is, this is Jesus laying some stuff out really, really clearly. And there's tons of good stuff here. But I wanna, I wanna, I have highlighted just a couple spots here that I feel like can try to give us a picture of this, perhaps um, this dichotomy that we can see, you know. So. With that, we're in Matthew 5. We're going to go to verse 17. Verse 17. So Matthew 5, verse 17. I'm just going to read through a chunk here. <clears throat> this is Jesus talking to a group of people, presumably on a mountain. Um, <laughs> Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to, f- to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Exclamation point in my, in my version here. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oof, okay. It's pretty clear. Okay, not, I love the language here of like not even a letter or a part of a letter, like not even a, a stroke of a letter. And so this is, again, I, I remember it even used to bother me when I was little when people would say things, oh, we're not under the law anymore or something like that, you know, and I, there, there's scriptures that point to that, but also there's this key point here that Jesus said of like, hey, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And so... I kind of lay out a little bit here. And so then there's a series of scriptures here. Again, these, these right here are some of my favorite things that Jesus teaches. It's probably this and all of the, the kingdom of heaven is like parables are probably my, my favorites. But um, so I'm just going to read a couple of these that we uh, don't quite have time to get through all of them. But so verse 21, still in Matthew 5. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answered to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. <laughs> Jesus said this, just to be clear. <laughs> this, is, this is what Jesus said. Ooh, okay. All right, let's go to the next one. Maybe that one's more, more comforting. All right, so verse 27. Uh, again, there's lots. I, I really encourage you to kind of walk through this whole scripture, but uh, we're just going to jump around here. Verse 27, still chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jump forward a little bit more. We'll go to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for, an, uh, eye, for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the, the other toward him also. Man, this is a lot of work, huh? This is tricky. Am I supposed to retaliate against evil people? What's, what's going on? All right. 
I love it whenever you show exasperation towards the scripture. No one knows how to respond. They're like, I can't agree because that would be wrong, but I don't know what to do, Blake. Okay, let's go to the next one. Verse 43. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the son, his son, and this is S-U-N as in the one in the sky, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That one's a little bit more comfy, I guess. Love everybody. Okay, that feels, that feels good. Okay, good. All right, last one, and, and this is the last one, last, last verse in this chapter. This is, this is just one of my favorite verses in the entirety of Scripture because it is terrifying. <laughs> verse 48, after all this, after all this raising of standard, after all of this, this raising up of, you know, even what you think about matters, we get to the last one that's really kind of a catch-all. You maybe could have just had this one. Uh, verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> Great, no problem. So it's, it's fair to, to look at that and even feel like you see something different of like, gosh, Jesus made it way harsher. He made it more intense. He made it more difficult. He made it more challenging. He, he made the law stricter, by, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah? It seems like it. And then it gets all the way down to you, you got to be perfect. <laughs> what is that? And so we're going to skip ahead. There's, again, it's painful to skip all this, but uh, let's go to chapter 7. And I feel like this, this statement here starts to, for me at least, draw a little bit of a picture. And it's, it's a picture that he draws throughout the entirety of this. So it's, again, it is a shame not to just walk through the whole thing. That's why I wanted you to turn to it in your Bible so that you could really dig into it later. But chapter 7, we're going to go to verse 21. And so this is, he's, he's laid out even more. He's talked about the, the narrow and the wide gates, you know, He's talking about the, you know, looking for good fruit, all these, all, all these great things. And then we get down here to verse 21, chapter 7, still in Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Leave me who practice Law, you who practice lawlessness. Again, another one of those great comforting scriptures. <laughs> I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I want you to uh, pause for a moment and think, gosh, does this make me feel nervous? Does this make me feel anxious? And I want you to first pause and say, emotions are okay. Emotions are a response to something that's going on. And so you don't need to be like, I'm a horrible person if this makes me nervous. H however, we do want to remember that we, we, when Jesus said it, we really want to make sure that we receive that and recognize that as the absolute center of everything that we do. Does that make sense? And so if there is something that's challenging or if something that makes me nervous, I want to be willing to take the time to soak that in and understand what is he saying here? What is he inviting me into? What, what is he looking for here? We, we talked a bit about, you know, hyperlaw over on this side, which is uh, stuff that could, could, could be seen as in line with what we talked about here of, like, a high standard of, of character, of, of behavior, of action, re clearly recognize things as moral and, and immoral and, and all, all these things. And, and you know, uh, uh, about the kind of 
the potentially severe penalties of, of not following that. Now we could, you know, go over here on this other side and say, you know, this, we're, I'm over in greasy grace zone over here. My feet are all sticky. This is greasy grace over here. Um, the, I'm going to stop making grease jokes. It's disgusting. Anyway, so I'm, I'm over here and I, um, I, this is, uh, I shouldn't tell the story. It's random. But the other day I tried to fr make chicken wings in my house the other day and, you know, I tried to fry them and everything and I just did it in my house in a pan. That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Your entire house will smell like grease for the rest of your life. Um, anyway, moving back on. Over here in Greasy Grace, I might say, wow, that's such a high standard. It's impossible. Uh, grace must just make up the difference. <laughs> so we can just kind of do whatever, and grace will just make up the difference. Ah, it's a tricky thing. And that doesn't really seem like what it's saying at all. <laughs> <laughs> Part of this is in understanding the word grace. The word grace is, is not the same as the word mercy. Sometimes we use it interchangeably with the idea of mercy of uh, you're all good to go. Well, that's what mercy is. You, you've been forgiven a debt. You've been, you've been released of a debt. And, and mercy is obviously something that God releases and carries. Uh, if you look at, as I've read it and heard it told, the most literal translation of the word grace is divine influence upon one's heart divine influence upon one's heart. So 13-ish uh, thir years ago, I, I married this girl named uh, April. I'm still married to her right now, at this very moment. <laughs> and I, um, I had an experience with grace, a certain kind of grace, a specific kind of grace, but I had an experience with grace. I was 22 when we got married, and that's pretty relatively young. I know some people got married younger, some people got married older. Um, culturally, in my family, in the area that I was from, like 25 is like when you start thinking about getting married, and 30 to 31 is like when you actually get married. So by, by the cultural standards of where I grew up, that was a very, very young to get married. And so I'd only been out of the house for one year. I had been just graduated from school of ministry. And so I was, you know, still figuring out how to do life. My parents were still helping me out with, with bills and things like that, even though I was, you know, doing some working. Moved across the country with this very, very good-looking girl and came to this place called Atlanta. And uh, right about then, uh, it was 2008, and this recession hit, and it got very hard to find a job. And so April had been able to transfer her uh, position. She worked at Costco, had for, oh gosh, it was eight years, I think, at that point, and was able to transfer her position over. I had been working for a... Um, a uh, landscaping company, and obviously that was a small company that was over there. And so came over here looking for a job, you know, couldn't, yeah, landscape, woo. Uh, if you ever moved to Reading, don't do landscape. It's 120 degrees in the summer. Woo. Uh, it's a trial by fire, sometimes literally. Anyway, um, so I was trying to find this job, trying to find that job. And I had this value in myself, and it's one that came from my family, is I want to I want to work, always be working towards something greater. I want to develop a healthy career. I want to do things that move me towards the future. I don't want to just survive. I want to be building, building, building stuff that's going to be successful in the future, financially, practically, and otherwise. And so I was you know, applying for different jobs that, would be, that I thought were in, in the fields that I wanted to go into because I wanted to make investments in those fields, and all, all while volunteering here at the early days of Bethel Atlanta. Um, and I couldn't find anything in any of the fields that I wanted to work in. 
And, you know, April's a good wife. She's very loving, very, very trusting, very patient. But that patience tank was starting to run low as the money tank was not going up. And she's out working every day, and I'm out trying to find a, a job. And at that initial time, and please don't try to judge, judge me initially until we get to the end of the story. I could go back to that scripture about judgment that's in this section if you'd like real quick. Uh, right, right, just right before this. Um, but I... Uh, I uh, wasn't applying for things that felt like to me but below where I wanted to go in, in life just because I felt like I wanted to make, I had this value of wanting to always be moving forward. And I thought if I get some kind of super low-level whatever job, then I'm not really preparing my family for, for where we're going. Now, that, was the, that was the idea. And April was like, I would like for you to be contributing to the finances starting right now. So could you just do that and talk about your values later? Um, <laughs> Your, your fantastic values. And so, and if I'm over here in hyper law zone, I could go into, oh, I feel so condemned, honey. Why don't, you know, you don't respect me. You, need, or you, don't, you don't love me. You don't trust me. You know, you don't do this. I could feel this, this shame. I'm a terrible provider. Oh, no. You know, all, all these kinds of things. If I go over here in Greaseland, I come into, oh, it's okay, God's going to provide, no problem, you know, he'll just take care of it, he'll fit the bill, no, you know, no responsibility, all that stuff. If I go into this other place that I'm going to call, and maybe there's a better word for this, but it's the one that I have for it, that I call relationship, instead of being influenced by just what's right, or being influenced on what feels best, I'm being influenced on my connection, my love, my value for this real person who's with me. And the funny thing was, is when I'd lean on that, that had even more influence on my heart than either one of those other th two things would have. And that grace of recognizing that I was in a position to uh, love my wife in this particular way caused me to adjust my value and say, okay, I'll go push shopping carts at Costco. If, because that brings peace, that brings help, and that also helps with our bank account. Um, and that's one teeny tiny little thing. I could pick out hundreds of pieces of grace where I had to choose to grow, to love my wife the way that she deserved, to serve the relationship that we have with one another. I've, I've heard some people, and I can understand why, view this word relationship, especially when relating to God, as something that fits into this grease zone over here. Um, like, oh, God loves me. Oh, you know, everything's all fine and dandy and good and no problems, you know. Um, I, I would like to suggest that that relationship is the highest standard available. I, I, I have, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I would like to suggest that that is precisely what Jesus was illustrating in these scriptures, was he said, I, I want you to change the way that you think. I want you to change the way that you believe. I want you to change not only the way you act, but also the way that you think, the way I'm asking for transformation. I'm asking you for to receive divine influence upon your heart that changes you. And all of these scriptures that, that, maybe to some of you seem harsh of, you know, get back right here. Uh, the, uh, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
that could feel way over here in Hyperlaw. Oh, I have to do something? I thought it's not by works. It's, it's not by works. But are we really experiencing grace if it doesn't transform us? Does that make sense? If it doesn't change the way that we act, if it doesn't change the way that we think, it's an indicator that we are not standing in grace if it's not changing our life. Does that, does that make sense? Now, we, we as the church have a challenge because we want to live by the standard that Jesus represented. Jesus did not reduce the, the clarity and magnitude of his message. But also, sinners were attracted to him and wanted to be around him and were transformed by being around his presence. I want to, I want to point to one scripture that I think is, is, there's a lot of them, but this is really one of the, uh, I mean, this, this is a scripture that's been taught a lot, and I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard versions of this taught from Hyperlaw Zone. I've heard versions of this taught from Greasy Grace Zone. I'm going to try, obviously, to the most to stay in this higher standard, which is Jesus. <laughs> um, but if we go to the book of John, and it's chapter 8. This is the woman caught in adultery. Again, a, a, a scripture we've heard 100,000 times. We just want to read through the whole thing. Because this, this is an example of Jesus doing that very thing. Where he is not lowering the standard. Where he is not um, being greasy grace. But he is living out of true love. And true love is not just about feeling good. True love is about all of the demands that come with being in relationship with someone, all of, the, all of the requirements of being in connection, which are high. It's what I was getting at a moment ago with, with the picture of marriage of my, April and my standard for one another is extremely high. What we require, well, the level of attention, affection, kindness, not to mention, that's, that stuff's all up here, not to mention all the stuff of like, hey, date, don't date other people, you know, stuff, stuff like that. That's, that's way in the baseline down here. There's standards built way higher than that of protecting our kindness towards one another, protecting our trust for one another, protecting, uh, again, the me, not only me not getting in a situation with a, with a lady that would be in, inappropriate, but Get, making sure the way I interact with all the women makes my wife feel honored, feel, feel protected, feel loved. That's a high standard. And if I view that high standard from this hyperlaw zone, I feel controlled. If I view it from the greasy grace thing, it, it erodes. And I don't really have a relationship anymore. But if protecting this is the most important thing, then I will transform again and again and again to grow into someone who can not only protect it, but make it grow as well. Does that, does that make sense? That's what the standard of relationship is. And so let's, let's uh, look here for a second. Um, hey, thank you. <laughs> Everyone over there, I love you guys. <laughs> so let's go to the uh, book of John uh, chapter 8. I'm just going to read through this. Um, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple area. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began teaching them. Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses uh, commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Um, now they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. 
side note, Jesus is just cute, cool as a cucumber in this situation. I, I love it. He's just, he's, man. Uh, when they persisted in asking him, he strained up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones because they were smarter. Uh, I added that part. That's just me. <laughs> I assume that's why. It doesn't say that, but that's what I think. <laughs> and he was left alone. And the woman uh, where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, go, and from now on, do not sin any longer. And I, this, this whole story feels like a tremendous mystery that I, I just want to be challenged by again and again and again. Because he said, go and sin no more. He said, don't sin any longer. He did not lower his standard. He did not say, hey, that was okay. He offered an opportunity for transformation. This is one of the greatest mysteries, uh, I, and I, I want to, I want this to hurt me, not, not harm me, but I want this to hurt me when I'm not here or I'm, when, I, when I slip over here and when I slip over here. You know, I, I want it to, to hurt and say, I have to uh, push towards this standard, especially as a representative of Jesus, of sinners were attracted to him, tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners wanted to be around him, yet he never, never, never lowered the standard of what he was, of the message he was presenting. And this is the, this is the challenge that we have. And, and I, I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to go too far this way. I'm going to go too far this way. And, and I imagine most of us will mess up. We'll go too far this way. We'll go too far this way. I, I flash back to conversations, especially when I was a teenager, where I was so accusatory to people, where I was so judgmental to people, and I hurt them and caused disconnection and didn't, even if what I was saying was perhaps factually true, I wasn't releasing grace. And I have to look back and recognize, ah, no grace came out of me, and that stinks. <laughs> Love you guys. Let's, just, let's go get lunch after this, okay? <laughs> Um, and I've, I've seen myself edge over here where, where I'm, I'm, I'm scared about what happened to my friend Beth, that she's going to leave the church and never come back again and never go to a church ever again. And I'm scared of, of what happened to her. And I never, ever, ever want to want to see that happen to someone again where they feel so condemned that they're disconnected from the body of Christ. But again, I have to recognize that I am also not releasing grace when I'm doing that. And I need to once again be challenged to come back and say, it's not a spectrum. It's not a place on this that I'm looking for. It's Jesus, you did this well. And as crazy as it is, you asked me to be perfect. So I am going to receive grace, receive divine influence upon my heart so that I can transform and change and grow. I'm going to go just a touch over time, but I, I, I told you about two of my friends from youth group that were sad stories. And honestly, I, I, I could pick 10 more. I didn't tell you about my other friend. His name, his name was Peter, and that was his real name. <laughs> um, and Peter was just a cool guy, man. He, he loved Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. He, he, we'd be hanging out all together at his house, and he would, where'd Peter go? He's upstairs in his room worshiping, <laughs> you know, because he wanted just to spend time with Jesus. 
He's, he's studying his Bible. He's sharing it with other people. He's loving the people. He's kind to them. He's, he's, a, he's affectionate. He, he uh, you know, gets a, he's the first one to show up to the prayer meeting. He's, the, he's the, just this loving, amazing guy. And it's, it's, it's yet another mystery that I look at in my past because, you know, he sneaks up to go to worship where we're hanging out. And part of me is like, oh, man, like I feel lame. You know, I, I, I can feel less devoted or whatever. But if I'm being honest... I just felt challenged to love Jesus more when I, when I saw him. I felt like, gosh, I, I don't know Jesus as well as he does, and I would like to because I can see it shining on this guy's life. And I, I, I believe, while I'm sure he had plenty of flaws like all of us do, I believe that that is the kind of grace that we can continue to move towards is, oh, I'm challenged by this, but I'm attracted to it. I can see Jesus flowing out of that person's life. And I can be convicted that, oh, I, I don't know Jesus as well as that person does. Not in a comparative way, not in a, not in a, I'm so, not in the, in the hyper law way, or not in this greasy grace way where it's like, oh, we're all different. Everyone has their own, you know, everyone gets to wear their own hat, you know, whatever. Um, but in a way that says, I want that. I want that. And I just want to just zoom in here real briefly. Um, there's this great exchange right after this whole um, uh, um, woman caught in adultery situation where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees again. And they're saying, you know, who are you? Where are you from? And he said, hey, son of God. Um, and they're kind of challenging us. Well, you're, you, you know, there's, you're the only one who's wit witness to this. You know, who's with us? He said, oh, the Father's the witness to it, and they go through this whole thing. We, we get to the end, and they're having this debate. And uh, so we go to verse 19 of chapter 8 of John, um, and it says, So they were saying to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, uh, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple area, and no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. When I look back at the Sermon on the Mount and this tremendous challenge, there's again this, this challenge at the end that says, be gone from me, I never knew you. And when he's talking with these Pharisees who are wanting to stone this woman, again, he says, you don't know me. If you knew me, you'd know my father. This is what I mean by the standard of relationship, is that we need to know Jesus. 1 John 3 says that as we see him, we become like him. Seeing him, seeing who he is, is how we get an opportunity to receive grace. Challenging one another, growing in, in community and connection where we're, where we're not scared to say what Jesus said. But we're also not getting into this hyper-law zone where, honestly, we get in the spot where the Pharisees were, where we're just challenging on, on, on who's going to uphold the standard best. We, we slip away from Jesus, from, from grace. Again, divine influence upon our heart that causes transformation. If, if we want to influence the world, and I believe as the church, not, not a church, but the church, it is what we are called to do, then we need to every day be growing toward the standard of Jesus. Because with three years of ministry and 12 people, he changed the course of history the course of history 
I mean, if you, if you, we're so familiar with it and it's so normal to us, we think of it as normal. One man, three years of ministry, 12 people, there's a church on every street over here. There's entire decisions throughout history. One man, 12 people, the entire course of history was changed. What would it look like if the body of Christ all together, one to another, not, not in a competitive way, not in a, in a, um, in a uh, accusatory way, but in a loving, connected, relational way, challenged one another to pursue that standard and, and, and receive that grace and grow into greater representations of Jesus on the earth. What could that do to history? What could that do to history? When I think of my friend Peter, when I think of him just loving Jesus and the impact that that has on my life today, I can't think of him without a tear coming to my eye because to this day, I feel challenged to love Jesus more. Not because he was haughty about it, not because he was showy about it, but because he just did. We could, we could stand up real quick. <clears throat> at, at the end here, I just wanted to do a, a short time of, um, of uh, repentance, actually. And repentance is one of those words, especially if you've been in church for a long time, where it's like, I did something bad, now I need to say that it was bad, and I need to, you know, not do the bad thing anymore. But... I, <laughs> I would like to raise even the standard on what repentance is. It, it is, for me, this is, this is just my definition and there's, there's better ones out there, but it's, it's recognizing that I have done, thought, or acted in a way that was, that was less than the standard of Jesus. And recognizing that there is grace available to grow in my ability to do that, that Jesus has a better idea than I do about things. And if there's something specific that just is pops in your head or, or that, then that's great. If not, all I really want this is just to be just a time of positioning our heart in one of, I need grace. I need divine influence upon my heart. I cannot uh, clench my teeth and do all of this. I cannot, and again, I, I, I love it. It's so perfectly written out. I mean, obviously it would because it's Jesus, but he raises the standard, raises the standard, and then puts it impossibly high. <laughs> Because it has to be divine influence upon your heart. It has to be transformation. It has to be in partnership with, in, with him. Without him, we could not do it. But guess what? We have him. We have him. He paid the highest price so that we could have access, so that we could have access to his kingdom and to him. So if you would, just close your eyes. And at home, if you would, if, if your kids aren't going to run out the back door while you're not looking. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, just close your eyes. And we just say, Lord, we, we, just, um, we just invite you in here right now. If there are ways of thinking, if there are ways of acting, if there are ways of believing that have been below the standard, that have been uh, missing the, the, the standard of, of who you are and what you're inviting us into, then we just ask you to reveal that to us, Lord. And we recognize that even though it can sometimes be painful to have something highlighted where, it's, where we're not perfect, we also recognize all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that this is, this is something that we are all working through and all growing in. And we just invite grace into this room right now. We invite grace.
into this room right now. We invite that divine influence upon our heart. Show us how to do what you would do if you were in that situation. Show us how to do what you would do in that hard conversation we have with our relative, in, that, in, that, in this disagreement I have with my brother, in this, in this conflict I'm having with, with, with a friend. Show me how to do what you would do. And, and we recognize that it's, imp- it's impossibly high. We need your grace that, oh my goodness, how did you not lower your standard yet still show so much love? How did you do that? We, 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 we humble ourselves in your presence and recognize we desperately need what you have. We desperately need what you have. But we also recognize that it is your plan and your purpose for all of us to grow into your likeness, to grow to look like you more. And we accept the challenge. We accept the challenge and we're willing to adjust our mind, adjust our heart and adjust our actions to follow you because we want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.